Hey, it is so good to see every one of you here, whether you're watching online or here in person. Um, we are, uh, have started off a brand new year, and for many of us, New Year's bring New Year's resolutions, and we've been talking about that a little bit here at Connect uh, with a brand new series uh, that we've talked about. What is our, um, who are we as a church? What do we want to be identified as as a church? And last week, we reminded ourselves that when we say church, that's not the building in which we sit. That's us. We are the church. So if we ask the question, what do we want to be known as, as a church here, Connects Church in this community, we're asking, what are we as people, as individuals, as, as followers of Jesus, as people who maybe are here exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what do we want to be known for? And we're going to continue on with that uh, idea, that discussion this morning, but I need your help. So you're going to be really excited that you came in person this morning because we have a little audience interaction here this morning. Uh, it won't be too difficult. You're not going to stand up. You're not going to speak. It's going to be as simple as just a raise of the hands. But I thought I would like to start off this morning with kind of a, an either-or poll. An either-or poll. So uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to come up with five different categories, five different uh, things, and, and I want your help to uh, see which of these two would be your favorite. So we'll start off with this one, the first one. Uh, it's going to be a nice, easy one. If we can pull up that first picture there. It should be coming any seconds. <laughs> Now it's going to be a wonderful picture. Yep, yep. There it is. Okay, so uh, hold on, hold on. You're not going to answer yet because I'm going to give you a chance in a second. But um, some of you out there are like, well, I don't like dogs or cats. I like hamsters. I, I don't care. Okay, right now you can only choose dogs or cats. Okay, so you have to choose one or the other. So hands up if uh, you're kind of more of a dog person. All the dog. Whoa, a lot of dog people. I should have started with cats because now the cat people are being a bit embarrassed. But anyone a cat person? Yes, I like cats too. I do like dogs as well, but uh, I like cats. Okay, well done. Nice to have you here, my, uh, my cat people. All right, uh, next one. Which of these two flavors would be your favorite when it comes to ice cream? Okay, so we'll start off. Any chocolate ice cream fans here this morning? Ooh, not as many as the dog. Okay, okay. How about strawberry? Yes, come on. I know some of you are like, I want mint chocolate chip, but you only had two to choose from, okay? So between those two. All right. It's going to get a little bit tense in here now, okay? Because now we need to find out which way your leanings are. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, this uh, two uh, badges represent the St. Louis Cardinals or the Chicago Cubs. And we are kind of literally in the middle of the state. So we, you could go either way here. So any Cardinals fans here this morning? All right, yeah, hands down. Any Cubs fans? Wow, look at that. That was like almost 50-50. I think we'll actually have you all stand up and we'll put you on each side of the room just so there's no uh, tension for the rest of the service. Um, all right, when it comes time to choose where you're going to vacation, are you a beach person or a mountain person? Do you like to lay in the sun or do you like some adventure? So all my beach people, this should be on a day like today. Yeah, every one of you wants to be on the beach. Okay, beach. How about... So, how about mountains? Some hands stayed up for both. You like to climb the mountains and then go settle on the beach in the afternoon. All right, I like it. All right, one last one. 
is it, are you a Coldplay fan or a country music fan, <laughs> okay? So we got Coldplay and that kind of genre of music or country music. All my Coldplay people, are you in here? All right, quite a few. All right, country. Uh, still so much work to do. I will uh, keep on keeping on. I'm gonna keep preaching and uh, trying to work here, but isn't it amazing I mean, just, just with those five things there, isn't it amazing how much variety there is across the church, except for dogs and cats. I feel like dogs really did have like the big, the big win there. But even so, there wasn't 100% in any of those categories. For sports, some went north, some went south. Some love to lay in the sun when it comes to vacation, and some like adventure. And some of you are married to the opposite person <laughs> of what, and it makes for some wonderful vacations. For music, some of you like alternative rock pop, and some of you need to come and see the prayer team. They'll be here at the end. Uh, come see them. So how is it that we are able to gather together every week with so much division in the, world, in the room and still worship Jesus? Well, I think it's the truth um, that we all know that we, we've put our commitment to Jesus above these things. All of us are unified in our knowledge that Jesus loves us, that we want to follow him. And yes, we're different. And yes, when it comes to ice cream, we like different flavors, but, but we all love Jesus. We're all following Jesus. We want to see his will done in our lives and in the world in which we find ourselves. But let's be honest. Those five category, categories at the beginning, they were kind of softball questions, weren't they? I'm guessing if I went around the room this morning and asked what you think is the biggest danger facing the church and Christianity today, I would get a similar variety of answers. Or a similar question, if I was to ask you as followers of Jesus, what should we be doing most to impact the world in which we live? What should we be most passionate about? What should be priority number one for us as followers of Jesus? There would probably be some different answers. How about if I asked you this morning as a Jesus follower who you should align yourself with politically? Again, we might get some different answers. And when it was just dogs and cats, we're fine being a dog person if someone else likes cats. But some of those other categories I just mentioned, it gets a little trickier, doesn't it? We have a hard time believing that, because we're so passionate about what we believe about a certain subject, that we have a hard time believing that someone else could be a follower of Jesus and not be as passionate about that as well. But they happen to be passionate about something different. Last week, we started off this series we called Four. And this morning, I want to look at the idea of what it looks like as Jesus followers when we choose to be for instead of against in our relationships with one another, in our relationships with the people we live alongside, the people we work with. So not just the people who join us at church on a Sunday morning, but the people in the world outside of the church who we do life with. You see, last week we learned that God is for us. He loves us. We also learned that he loves those outside of the walls of this building. He loves those who don't yet love him, and he is for them too. John 10, Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, Jesus said, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life 
to the full. When I read that verse, I discover that Jesus is for us. He's for mankind. The thief, the devil, he's against us. He wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe that as his church, Jesus wants us to be his light in this dark world. He wants our community to know outside of this church that we are for them because God is for them. We want them to know that we are for the community as a whole, but we also want the people in our lives to know that we are for them too. We acknowledged last week that sometimes as Jesus follows, we've not done the best in this area. Sometimes we've become more known for what we're against than what we're for. So today as we continue on in our series, we're gonna look at this whole idea when it comes to relationships. Relationships, what does it look like to be for others? You know, Jesus summed up what our relationships should look like in two short verses. And he explained that if we get this right, we can impact the entire world. This is how much is at stake. It seems so simple, but the the idea in this verse is so huge. In John 13, he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. How did Jesus love us? He gave his life for us. He sacrificed everything for us, just as I, in the same way that I've loved you, that's how you should love each other. Because your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When we love correctly, when we love well, when we allow the love of God to flow through us to those around us, it proves, it shows that God loves others. Because we love others and we love one another. Now, I know that the idea of being for instead of against as followers of Jesus, it can be a bit of a challenge to some of us, can't it? Because it can kind of give us this this idea that um, if we go too far down this path, then we're not going to stand against anything. That we believe God's love is, is so much that anything goes because God loves. Well, that's definitely not the case. As a follower of Jesus myself, there are some things I'm not for. I'm not for illegal drugs and the harm that they can do to individuals and families. I am not for um, injustice and brokenness when innocent people suffer. I'm not for that. I am for snow when I'm skiing over the top of it, but I was not for snow this week. (laughs) I was very against that wet, heavy snow on my driveway that when I got my snowblower out and I did one line and then I did the next line and then I get to the third line, it just started to plop into the first line that I'd already done. I was like, I hate this kind of snow. (laughs) There are things that I'm against. (laughs) But in this series, we're trying to make sure that as Jesus followers, we become more known by what we're for than what we're against. Yes, there's a lot of things that because of our relationship with Jesus, because of what teaches uh, scripture teaches that, that we are against, but, but let's be known more for what we are for because God is for us. He loves us. There are so many things we can be known for instead of what we're against because what tends to happen is when we put all of our passion and energy into something, a subject or, or something that we're against, before long, we find ourselves not just against something, but someone. 
We can become against people that are associated with that thing that we're against. A group of people who think differently than us, who look differently than us, who believe differently than us, who vote differently than us. We may be against certain things, but as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be against people. And sadly, this isn't a new problem. It's a problem that, to be honest, has plagued religious people for thousands of years. So much so that we're going to read a story this morning of a time that Jesus confronted this head on. That Jesus came face to face with this kind of attitude from a religious ruler and and challenged it, both through a conversation and a really, really cool story. And we're going to look at that together this morning. We find it in, um, let me look here, Luke chapter 10. And it starts in verse 25. It'll be on the screens. You can read along. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, the man wants to justify his actions, so he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into this story that we're going to look at in just a second. But I want to pause here and just look at this opening exchange between this religious leader, this ruler, and Jesus. You see, the question he's asking, he's not really interested in knowing the answer. He's actually trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to trap Jesus into saying something saying a phrase or a sentence or a word or a soundbite that he can then hold Jesus to and say, see, when you said that, when you gave that answer, that in turn means you must be against something in the law of Moses. These religious people were trying to do this all the time with Jesus, trying to get get him to, to tie himself up in his own words. So what does Jesus do? It's brilliant. Instead of answering the question, He says to the guy, well, what do you think? (laughs) What do you think is the answer? The question the guy asks is basically, what will it take? That's his question. What will it take? What will it take? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, in your view of understanding of the law and of the law of Moses and God's commands up to now, what do you think is the most important thing? What do you think I should do? Jesus, knowing this man's scheme, asks him this question in return. What do you think? What is your answer? So the religious expert, he answers with what he he believes to be true based on what the law teaches. But also, if you read in Matthew and Mark, he's probably heard Jesus say this himself because Jesus has talked about this. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's it. Do that and you will live which is crazy because basically what's happening here in this interaction is Jesus saying to inherit eternal life, all you've got to do, it's real simple, all you've got to do is consistently practice unqualified love for God and your neighbor. 100% and you got it, eternal life. He might as well have said, it's easy. All you've got to do is just run over there and jump over that 30-foot fence. It's all you've got to do, piece of cake. And the law isn't 30 feet, it's 3,000 feet (laughs) because it's perfection. And Jesus knows this. And Jesus knows that for years, the law has been helpful to the people of Israel to be a moral compass, but none of them were ever gonna be able to achieve 
everything laid out in the law, which is why Jesus had to come for them and for us. Because we'll never be perfect. And he was perfect on our behalf. He died so that we can have a relationship with God. And with a new life, with him inside us, we live differently and we aspire to live by his commands and his example. But we know that we're never gonna be perfect, but we don't have to be because of Jesus. So at this point, what the lawyer should have said was, how can I possibly do that? That's impossible. But he's still arrogant enough to believe that he can follow the law to the letter. So he decides to clarify with Jesus what the word neighbor really means. Who is my neighbor? You see, in the Greek language that they would have been speaking at the time, the word neighbor just literally means someone who's near. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, where they talked about neighbor, it meant someone that you have an association with. So up till this point, it was quite easy to say, well, yes, I can love my neighbor, my buddy right here, <laughs> my friends who I go out with on a Friday night who think like me and look like me and talk like me. Yeah, I can, I can love them. They're my neighbors. So he's like, I think I can do this. But I should probably just clarify who is my neighbor. I mean, obviously, you're not talking about things like Samaritans or Romans or other foreigners, right? I mean, who would ever love them? And Jesus answers with one of the most famous stories in the New Testament, one of the most famous parables. It's actually become a phrase that we use nowadays in English when somebody is kind or does something well. We're like, and then a good Samaritan came along. Somebody was stranded by the side of the street and a good Samaritan stopped to help them. That's how well-known this subject is that we're about to read. Verses 25 through 29, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I come through. Jesus speaking says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replies, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes. Now you go and do the same. You live that way. That is the standard. That's who your neighbor is. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love who? People who you don't normally associate with, people who look differently than you, people who up till now you've tried to steer clear of. There is so much wrapped up in this story that still to this day should challenge us on, on how we should love, who we should love, how we should treat others, what compassion should drive us to do. And I wanna just focus in on two problems that Jesus creates in this story. We're gonna look at these two problems and how they impact us today. 
And I've got to tell you, I was studying for this message this week, and I actually read uh, a chapter in a book. It's a wonderful book. It's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And it's a great book, and the author, um, he studied a lot of what life was like in the time of Jesus. So because of this, he's able to bring some more um, information to these stories. Because we read this, and it's a great story. It's about a guy who was walking, and he got beat up, and there was another guy came along, and, and we get all that. But when Jesus told this story, there were people who knew where Jericho was, who were picturing a priest in their minds, who knew what Samaritans were thought of. And there are some things here that are insinuated in the story that we miss and that this book helped me to discover this week. So I'm gonna help, with the help of that book, I'm gonna share these two problems that Jesus calls out. The first is Jesus addresses the fact that love is greater than the law. Love is greater than the law. This was the first problem that Jesus was exposing in this particular story. You see, he knew this story, and, and we don't know whether it was a true story, and I was like, oh, I heard this story, or whether it was a, a, a parable, a story that he was just making up. But either way, people would have known exactly what to picture when he told the story. They would have pictured a priest on his way home to Jericho. You see, from the temple in Jerusalem to Jericho, there was this road they took, and he would have worked for weeks on end in the temple. So he's finished his shift, and his family, they live back in Jericho. So he's on his way back to Jericho, to his home where he would have lived. Priests in that day would have been very wealthy, so he would have probably been riding an animal of some sort. So there is no doubt that the reason this guy didn't help him was because he wasn't equipped to help him. He very easily could have loaded this, this injured man onto the back of whatever animal he was riding to carry him to help. If the man was a law-abiding Jew, if the man beaten, laying by the side of the road, was a law-abiding Jew, then the priest would, would definitely help him. Not out of compassion, but out of law and duty because they were to help other Jews. But we know from the story that the man was laying beaten and naked by the side of the road. And in this day, how do you know where people are from? Because of the way they dressed. Well, that guy's clearly a Jew. Look at how he's dressed. That guy must be a Samaritan. Look at how he's dressed. And here's this naked, unconscious man by the side of the road and he doesn't know. So the priest is faced with a dilemma. What if I help him and he's not a Jew? If, what if I touch him and he dies? There are rules in the law that I'm compelled to follow that say I would have to go back to the temple. I would be unclean. For two weeks, I would have to remain in the temple. I couldn't draw any salary. I couldn't send any money back to my family because I would be unclean. I would have to tear my robes. They had so many of these laws they had to follow. And the crazy thing is, that when God put these laws into place in the first place, they were like a moral compass to the people of Israel. And then these religious folks, they built on these laws to the place that they missed the spirit of the law and ended up creating this law that ostracized people that was never God's intention in the first place. The next guy to come along, uh, some stories call him a Levite, others call him a temple assistant. But basically, in the, uh, the Jewish temple, there were three main um, roles. You were either a priest, you were a Levite or a temple assistant, or you were a layman. So the second guy, he's a Levite, the temple assistant. Even if he had compassion, even if he wants to take a chance on this man, he knew, because he was probably working the same shift as the priest, that if the priest didn't pick him up, I'm not going to pick him up. 
The actions of the priest determines the actions of the next guy. Because the priest chose not to show love and compassion, it forced this next guy to follow his example. Then Jesus says, and then a third man comes along. And in their minds, people were probably thinking, oh, it must be the, the layman. But no, the third person to come was a Samaritan. He wasn't bound by the laws of Jewish people. Instead, he was bound by the laws of love and what's right and what's good. He doesn't ask where the guy's from. He doesn't ask if we're meant to be friends in real life. <laughs> he doesn't pull out a little pad of paper and say, hey, I need to know, are you a dog person or a cat person? Because <laughs> I'm really a dog person. I really only help dog people. <laughs> he didn't go through a list. He just saw a man in need of help, and he helped him. And do you know what's crazy? And I missed this until I read this book this week in the story. The second problem with this story is that love can take you to places of discomfort. Love can take you to places of discomfort. You, I'm warning you this morning. You may leave here thinking, that's a great message. That's a great idea. I'm gonna try and be more like that. I'm gonna try and be more for people. I'm gonna try and love people who are different than me. But I wanna warn you, it may come as a price. It can take you to places of discomfort. We know that the man was on the road to, Jer to Jericho. So we know that this Samaritan would have had to pick up this man and take him to an inn that was most likely in Jericho. Jericho was a Jewish community. So this Samaritan, a person despised by Jews, puts an injured Jewish man on the back of his donkey and took him to an inn in Jericho to be cared for. Let me set you the scene of what's going on here. This is me in around 1775, riding my horse into Lexington and Concord, wearing my favorite red coat. <laughs> and on the back of my horse is this colonist who I happen to have found <laughs> back on the road. And I'm like, hey, guys, I think this guy might need some help. <laughs> They're not looking at me thinking, oh, what a great guy. They're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you Brit. <laughs> we know what's happened here. <laughs> He was putting himself into danger. Love was compelling him to do something that actually put the Samaritan at risk. But he took this man into a community to be cared for and to be loved. This was the risk the Samaritan was willing to take as a demonstration of love and compassion to this Jewish man. You know, sometimes as followers of Jesus, I think we can still be too concerned for our own safety or our reputation to show compassion or love who, to those who are different than us. But Jesus' challenge in this story is that love should drive us to think differently. So for weeks now, I've known that I'm um, speaking on this subject, the second Sunday in January. And uh, a few weeks ago, I came across this video and I watched it. I was like, whoa, what a great video. It's a, a Christian um, video company and they put together testimonies and stories. And knowing I was gonna speak on it, I thought, I've gotta show that on this week. So it's a little bit longer, but it's just such a good story that I wanted you all to hear it this morning. So check out this video. show and they were producing one hour specials on different celebrities and the executive producer turned to me and a gentleman next to me I had just met named Rick and said Karen and Rick I'm going to put you together and your first assignment is Hugh Hefner. I was horrified. He started Playboy magazine, Playboy channel, Playboy mansion. 
He objectified women. There is nobody that you could give me that I am more disinterested in. And I told my husband, I said, I said, pal, I am so bummed. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do Hugh Hefner. And he said, somebody's going to do it. And if you don't do it, somebody else will. So why don't you do it differently? So I thought, okay, I'm going to start praying about how to do this differently. So the next day I went back to the office and I walked in and I said, Rick, I have to be honest with you. I do not want to do Hugh Hefner. And he said, neither do I. Last night I called my pastor. You what? What did he say? He said to me, Rick, if you don't do it, somebody else will. So you better do it and do it differently. And he said, I kind of got excited about that. But then I had to come and tell you today. And I said, my husband said the exact same thing. We better start praying and figuring out how to do this story. And we thought of an idea suddenly. We thought, you know, let's not tell how he became famous or what he's accomplished. Let's find out why he became who he is. We all got in a car together. We drove to the mansion. We came in. We set up, he comes in with an entourage, and he was lovely. So we sat down and Rick started asking the question. He said, Hef, what was your life like growing up? And he looked at us and he said, we believed in God, but it wasn't a very loving home. He said, my parents never told my brother or me that they loved us. And my mother had a phobia of germs and she never hugged us or kissed us. I never had contact with my parents. And they never knew how to show their love. They only did one thing once for me that I remember. They gave me a gift that I loved so much because it was the only thing that reminded me that my parents loved me. He said it was a blanket and I called it my bunny blanket because it had little bunny rabbits around the outside of the blanket. And he said, I love that blanket. I slept with it. I carried it around during the day. And he said, that meant so much to me. The other thing I wanted, I wanted a puppy. And my mother said, no, I don't want germs in the house. Until he said, I was seven or eight years old and I got a tumor in my ear and we had to have, I had to have surgery. And he said, the doctor told my mother I could lose my hearing. So she went to a pound. She found a, a puppy, brought it home. He said, I loved that puppy so much that I gave him my bunny blanket to sleep on. It was my, my joy for five days. And then the puppy died. They didn't know that they brought home a sick puppy. And he said, five days later, my mom has someone take the puppy out of the house. And then in front of me, because the puppy was lying on it, she burned my bunny blanket. And he looked at us and said, I guess I'm just a little kid still looking for love. The interview went on for him telling how he's continued through his life to find the real love. He says, my friends and I get together every Friday night in the mansion and we watch old romantic movies because I'm trying to find the story that's true. And he said, I've tried to find love through marriages, through friendships, even my children. I've never found the true love that I want. At the end of the interview, it was silence in the room. And Hef came straight to Rick and me and he said, that was my favorite interview. I have never had people ask me questions like that. I never get to talk about my childhood. I thought, I can't hate this man ever. I can feel sorry for him. I can see his broken heart. I can see why he's made his choices, but not because he's a bad person. It's because he's a broken person. So after the interview, uh, the week later, I wrote him a note and I said, Hef, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to get to know you and to interview you. I said, 
You have accomplished everything that man has to offer. But I think there's one thing you haven't accomplished. You know a living God, but I don't think you've ever experienced a loving God. And I hope that that can be the last thing you accomplish. And so I've put in this letter a book that I that I think might help in the journey. Put it in a package and I sent it to him. And I thought, that's all I can do. Two weeks later, I get a letter back from him. Hi, Karen. Thank you for my favorite interview. And he said, thank you for the book. I look forward to reading it. I do have a faith, but a lot of people don't understand it. And so I just started praying for him. Just started praying. Three months later was Christmas. I got him a Bible. I stamped his name on the front. I wrote Merry Christmas and thanks. And I sent it to him. I get a letter back, thanked me for the Bible. Then three months after that, he was speaking at the Television Academy. And I wanted to go see him again because I had continued to pray for him. So I brought a friend of mine. We went backstage and I said, I'm so glad to see you. And he, and he turned to my friend and he goes, she did my favorite interview. And my friend said, it's so good to meet you. I loved what you had to say. She said, but I think there's one thing you haven't experienced. And he said, what? And she said, grace. And he looked at her and said, my mother's name was grace. And there was silence again. And then people came up and we had to say goodbye and I hugged him and that was the last time I talked to him. That experience not only told me the power of prayer, but also told me we can't judge anybody. We have to find out their story. We have to find out why somebody does what they do. If someone's mean to us, I tell people have an unoffendable heart and find out why that person did that, not what they did or not how they did it. And you're gonna have a whole different perspective then. powerful story and obviously you know I, as a follower of Jesus I am against the empire that built he built and the harm it can do to individuals to families but this lady chose to be to look past that and to be for an individual that she associated with an industry and in doing that it cracked open a door into who this man was and the brokenness and you may, not get to have, you may not get to have a conversation like that with someone like that this week. But you may decide to, to ask some questions, to reach out to somebody who does look differently than you, who is on the other side of the street, who, who maybe at times your, your religion has said, no, I've got to steer clear of, of that group of people, that kind of person. Do you know, when Jesus asked the religious man, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Do you remember his answer? The answer to the question is the Samaritan. <laughs> but his answer was the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. That's how deeply ingrained his, his hatred was for this community. When it came to relationships, Jesus literally turned the world upside down. And isn't it crazy that thanks to technology, we are more connected now as human beings than we've ever been in history. But when you look at the rising rates of anxiety and depression and suicide and addiction, it's clear that this, this connection we have through technology, it's not a real connection. That in our hearts, God has created us to connect one with another. There's such a huge need for real connection, for relationship. And some of the people who need love the most are the ones who can often be the hardest to love. But they are our neighbors, even if they look different than us. And they need to know that Jesus is for them. And we are for them.
Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And stories, it just amazes me, Jesus, that stories that you told 2,000 years ago to challenge a religious ruler caught in his own uh, narrow-mindedness still resonate with us today, still challenge us today 2,000 years later. And I think, God, it's because part of it is the, the challenge in our own lives, to be willing to step outside of our comfort zones, to, to be willing to love someone who does look different than us or thinks different than us or who is associated with something that, or an area that, that is a challenge for us. I get that. But I think the other challenge in this story, Lord, is it kind of resonates with our own desire to be loved. Many of us in this room this morning are incredibly fortunate that we've discovered the greatest love that can ever be imagined, the love that you have for us, that you would send Jesus to die for us. But Lord, there are many in our lives who have still yet to find that love, that grace. And Jesus, we might be the people that introduce that to them, but we've gotta be willing, Lord, to be for and not against. Help us in Jesus' name.